friend of mine from college tells a story about uh, a second honeymoon. Actually, I guess you'd call it a first honeymoon. He and his uh, wife, I knew them both when we were in college, and they had one of those weddings where they got married in the school chapel on the last, last day of of school, when they had the graduation, they go get married in the school chapel. They, you know, didn't have a honeymoon. They hit up Wendy's on the on, on the way to stay at the Motel Six for the night, and then drove 15 hours to get to where they were moving uh, the next day. And so he had always thought to himself, he said, "Man, someday when we get some money saved in the bank, and we and we have some, you know some time we can take off, we're gonna make up for this. We're gonna go have an incredible honeymoon. We're gonna we're gonna do it right." And uh, some years passed, and. Um, he eventually got to the point where they were able to do this. And he told his wife, he said, we're going to have an incredible trip. It's going to be the honeymoon that we never had. And uh, they both loved the mountains. And, and it just so happened that he had a friend who had this uh, cabin in, in the, the, you know, off in the beautiful snow-crested mountains. And, and, and it was a really nice cabin. Had lots of cool features. And, and it was available to this guy. And he said, man, I'll take it. You know, we'll, we'll go. We'll have this incredible uh, time off together as a couple. It'll be what, what we've all always missed. And uh, so they started planning this trip. And it was a really, really cool lodge-style kind of cabin. It had this big fireplace, you know, and, and it had this outdoor hot tub, which they were fascinated with. I don't really understand. They were fascinated with the fact you could be cold and hot at the same time. You're going to go out and it's in the snow, right? You're going to get in the hot tub, but you're in this warm, I guess it's a thing in Colorado, but they, they had this. And so they've been thinking about, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to do the hot tub. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start a fire and we're going to take all of our favorite movies and we'll snuggle up on the couch and the beautiful views and watch our watch these movies and just hang out it's just going to be the two of us and you know we're going to do some other stuff as honeymoon after all you know and and all the stuff they were planning but but he had one extra thing up his sleeve he said I'm going to surprise her with something that she she didn't didn't even know about He, he said you know neither of us have ever had anything really fancy in our lives but he's thinking we're going to be in this wonderful beautiful cabin I want to do something fancy so he said I'm going to make a dinner for her but I'm going to make a dinner with stuff she's never had like I'm going to go get jum you know he goes to the store he gets jumbo shrimp he gets caviar he gets all this stuff that just sounds super fancy that he thought neither of them would ever really run into but he's like we're going to do this upright and he doesn't tell her I'm going to do this for dinner. He gets access to that cabin on a Thursday night. They're supposed to be up on a Saturday night. He gets access on Thursday night. He takes all these groceries. He puts them in the fridge, all this fancy stuff, hundreds of dollars of fancy stuff that he bought. And um, he, 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 you know, shuts the fridge door, goes out of the cabin, leaves to go back home, spends the next 48 hours on Food Network, making sure he knows how to cook all this stuff when he gets back. Um, and uh, he, he's just totally thrilled about this is going to be that moment. You know, the moment when you look at your wife and she goes, I can't believe you did this for me. And she's, he's like, that's exactly, was the whole two days I was so absorbed in that. And so they finally get to the cabin. They get there on Saturday. And, and he says, listen, honey, put on your swimsuit. Go hang out in the hot tub. I'm going to fix dinner. Um, you know, so, you know, the kitchen's off limits. I'm going to, I'm going to make a dinner you'll never forget. And, and she, she didn't ask any questions. She hops in the hot tub and, and uh, he goes to the kitchen. He opens the refrigerator door and you know what he saw light was off. And he realized that the refrigerator was deceased. And he said, I know it wasn't possible. It had only been a couple days. He said, but I swear there was stuff growing on the shrimp. 
And, and so he said it was just like, he said, my heart just sunk. He's like, all of a sudden, everything that felt good about the trip that we were getting ready to take all of a sudden felt bad. And he said, I just was so upset. And he said, I don't, I, I was kind of angry. I was kind of upset. And, and he said, I, I, I just left the kitchen. He, he, he said, you know what I should have done is he said, I should have taken everything that was rotten in that fridge and tossed it in the trash can, taken, you know, tied it up, taken it outside, gone and told my wife what happened. But he said, I just couldn't bear to do it. I, I could not deal with it in the moment. He said, so I just shut the refrigerator door, and I, he said, I wanted to just make believe it hadn't happened. He said, I walked back out to the hot tub where my wife was, and, and she said, I thought you were fixing dinner. And he said, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm not going to do that right now. And she said, okay, well, hey, I tell you what, why don't you put on your swimsuit and you hop, hop in the hot tub with me? He said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in the hot tub. Okay, well, why don't, why don't I get out of the hot tub, and I'll get dressed, and we'll go explore. You know, we said we would go walk around, see the pretty mountains, and no, I don't want to get out and explore. All right, well, well what, I tell you what, we'll make a fire, right, and we'll take out one of our favorite movies, and we'll cuddle up on the couch like we talked about, we'll watch, no, I don't want to watch a movie. Now, you want to do other stuff? No, I don't want to do other stuff. You know? And she, she says, well, then what did we come out here for? And now all of a sudden, they're, they're starting to get in a little bit of a fight. She said, I don't, I don't know why we came out here then. He said, well, I don't know why we came out here either. Seems like the whole thing is just a mess to me. And they just got there. And he said, all of a sudden... I was letting a couple hundred dollars of spoiled groceries get ready to ruin the trip that we had planned for and hoped for for eight years. I mean, the whole thing was turning upside down on them. And the reason that I, I want to tell that story, by the way, it has a good ending, but the reason that I tell that story is this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter how young or old, whether you believe in God or, or you don't. Maybe you're just checking this out. This much I can promise you, stuff is going to go bad in the fridge in your life. There's going to be some times where something spoils in the fridge. And you're going to have to decide how to deal with it. I mean, you've got two choices, right? One is you can throw it out, start over. Or the other is, and then here's the thing, that, that's a great option. It would be fantastic if we, if we were all good at good at doing that, but the thing about it is, most people do not do that. Mo what most people do just guarantees that the pain will be prolonged indefinitely, and what they do that guarantees the pain will be prolonged indefinitely is they do what my friend did, they shut the refrigerator door and they try to ignore it and act like nothing happened. They try to walk away and say, I just can't deal with it. I can't deal with what's inside there. And what is inside the fridge anyway? Because I don't really think that my friend was that upset about Spoiled caviar and shrimp. There's more caviar and shrimp in the world. I don't think he was necessarily that upset over the fact that the dinner didn't happen because there would be other dinners. Here's, here's what I think he was upset about. Here's what I think was the big thing that was in the fridge. In the fridge, there was a picture of the perfect dinner that he had planned that he was preparing. for. It was an expectation. It was a plan. It was something that he had been putting together for a long time. And in his mind there was a picture of exactly what that was going to look like. It was going to happen that night. It was going to happen a specific way. The caviar was going to be awesome. The shrimp was going to be awesome. He had all these ideas in his head about how she was going to respond to how wonderful the dinner was. And he had played it all out in advance, and he had a very full picture of what it was supposed to. This is very important. He had a very full picture of what it was supposed to look like. And when he opened the refrigerator, he realized that the picture of what it was supposed to look like had spoiled and that's what I mean when I say stuff is going to go bad in the fridge of your life because you have, just as I do, a lot of pictures 
of what things are supposed to look like, how your kids are supposed to turn out, what's supposed to happen at your job, what's supposed to happen in your marriage. And they're very full-featured pictures, and all of a sudden, someday you go and you open the door to the fridge and you realize that that picture has turned, it's gone bad, it's spoiled. And then the question is, what are we gonna do with that? Well, if you struggle, as I do, with dealing with pictures in the fridge when they spoil, can I tell you that you're not alone? As a matter of fact, one of the greatest heroes of the entire Bible This was his life story. Ignoring spoiled stuff in the fridge, that's what he did. That was his MO. And I just want to take you to his life story, and we're going to take a couple of ideas away from it. Hopefully, it'll be helpful for you um, as you think about how do I really clean out the fridge in my life and open up up my world for what's next. The, The person that I want to talk to you about is a guy named David, King David. If you're familiar with the Bible, it's a very familiar name to you. But if you're not, uh, I'll get you caught up really quickly. King David was basically the best king Israel ever had. He was a man, the Bible says, who was after God's own heart. He was a, uh, a man who was wise, a man who, who uh, was Kipling, Kipling's comment, a person who keeps their head while all about them is losing theirs. This was, this was David. He was, he was sharp. He was a great military leader. And, professionally, he was a genius. His personal life was a train wreck. And the reason his personal life was a train wreck is exactly what we're talking about right here. See, David, and by the way, if you're wondering, even if you don't have a lot of experience in church or or reading the Bible, you've probably heard of David and Goliath. This is the same David that we're talking about. He eventually becomes king of Israel. He has a very successful tenure in his early years of being king, but then he makes a big mistake. He decides to stay home while the rest of his army goes and fights a battle. He's hanging out around the palace. He goes up to the roof of the palace and is kind of looking around. And now this, he shouldn't have been doing that because just real quickly, you should know that in, back in these, in these days uh, in Israel, baths were taken on roofs. So you would go, the roofs, roofs of, of, of homes were flat. And so you would go up on top of the roof and, and take a bath. And on top of that, you'd say, well, that doesn't sound very modest. Well, it was. There were little gates kind of around that part of the roof. So, so long as you weren't way, way, way up high and looking down, there wasn't a modesty issue. And there weren't very many places that were way, way, way up high except for the roof of the palace. So when David goes and he just is strolling around the roof of the palace, I think he probably understands that this is not wise. As a matter of fact, if you're in this room and you're, you know, some of, there's some guys in this room who are struggling with pornography problems. Let me tell you that you do have something in common with David. I personally believe this was not the first time he went walking around on the roof, and I, I think he knew what he was getting himself into. But regardless, he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba, and he decides he's interested in her. He sends some word to find out who this woman is, and his servants go and come back and tell him, well, this is, her name is Bathsheba. She's married to this guy, Uriah. He's one of the you know, great military uh, guys who's out fighting battles right now. And uh, as is the case with this sort of thing, that wasn't enough, right? And this is, this is something I deal with in my work with couples. These sorts of things, there's never enough. Looking at pornography is not enough. Eventually, you have to meet up with somebody, and then meeting up with somebody is not enough, and then it has to go to the next thing. So David asks, he says, who is this? And he thinks, that's all I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna find out who she is. But then once he knows who she is, that's not enough. And he sends for her, and she comes to the palace, and they sleep together, right? And then all of a sudden, she sends him a message not too long later and says, I'm pregnant. Now, here's the deal. This much I know. 
I know that in David's fridge is a picture of a moral and an honest and ethical man, a man who follows God and wants to do the right thing. Because this is how he's lived his life all this time. It is the way it was supposed to be. It was how he was supposed to live his life. It was what others expected from him. By the way, guilt is when we do something to spoil our own picture. Shame is when someone else thinks that we haven't lived up to their picture. Anxiety is when we think that the picture is going to get spoiled, but it hasn't yet. Anger is when somebody else does something to ruin our picture. And depression is something that happens when our picture gets spoiled, but nobody could do anything about it. We can't blame it on anybody. So he, he, he has both guilt and shame now, right? Because he spoiled his own picture and other people that know what's going on, now he hasn't lived up to their expectation, but he doesn't want it to spread. He doesn't want it to get, out, get everywhere. And here's the deal. David could have done the right thing. He could have cleaned out the fridge and said, you know what, that picture of me is the always moral, always ethical person who's always doing what God wants him to do. You know what, that picture has spoiled. I'm gonna toss it in the trash and now I'm gonna evaluate what I do have and I'm gonna start rebuilding and I'm gonna start reinvesting and I'm gonna start doing my life over again. And if David had done that, his kids would have seen that that's the way you handle it when a picture spoils. But unfortunately, he didn't handle it that way. He did what so many of us do. He closed the refrigerator door because he said, it's just too much, it's too much, can't handle it. So the way he closes the refrigerator door is he sends for the woman's husband, Uriah, you know, gets him home from the battle and, and says, hey man, you need some R&R, you need some rest, go home, be with your wife. You know, because he figures if he goes home and, and spends the night with his wife, everybody's gonna say, hey, you know, Bathsheba's pregnant, how fortunate for them. You know, Uriah comes home one night, now they have a baby coming. And, uh, but the problem is Uriah had too much honor. He wouldn't go stay at home with his wife when all the rest of his companions in the military were out fighting battles. So he slept on the ground, said, I can't go home, I can't do that, right? So now David knows he's got to do something bigger if he wants to keep the lock on the refrigerator door. So what he does is he sends a notice to his generals that says, I want you to put Uriah right up at the front of the battle where nobody survives. Make sure that he gets right up there in the middle of the worst fighting, right? And then he, by the way, this is how bad it was. He wrote that note, that death warrant. He put it and sealed it up and gave it to Uriah and told Uriah to deliver it to the generals. It was a terrible thing. So then Uriah dies and David marries Bathsheba, he comes off looking like the hero. Here's the king who marries this valiant officer's wife, the war widow, and then all of a sudden the baby's coming along and everyone says how wonderful uh, that now there's a, a baby coming along after this terrible tragedy. That's what it took to keep the refrigerator door shut. <clears throat> First time we see him doing that, actually, in scripture. But it was the beginning of a pattern, and it wasn't just a pattern for him, it was gonna be a pattern that would affect the rest of his family. It wasn't too long after that, <clears throat> David's son Amnon, and Amnon was the oldest of the kids, um, he had watched his dad do this. Dad wanted something, he wanted this woman, and dad just took whatever he wanted, and when it blew up in his face, he just covered it up. Amnon figured he could do the same thing. See, the thing about it was, Amnon was the most eligible bachelor in Israel. I mean, he was uh, heir apparent to the throne, so, I mean, all, there would have been tons of women in the, in, in, in the nation who would have wanted to be, be his wife, but he became infatuated, this is just kind of sick, but he became infatuated with his half-sister. And he really was just obsessed with her. And so he figured if dad can take whatever he wants, I don't see why I can't. And so he set up a situation where he said, I'm very sick. And he told, he told his dad, David, he said, I really need Tamar. That was the name of his half-sister. He said, I really need Tamar to come over to the house and make, make a meal for me because I don't feel well. So David sends Tamar over there and Tamar makes a meal. And then, he, and then he says, you know, I really don't feel up to eating it in the dining room. I just assume she bring it to me in my bedroom, right? So Tamar brings a meal to him in his, in, uh, in his bedroom. And then when... when when she gets there, he sends all the rest of the servants out and, and he rapes her, right? It's a terrible, terrible story. And so now, 
David's got another picture in the fridge that is spoiled, because this was not the way it was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be like this. So you would expect, right, and, and here's, the, here's the deal. By the way, let's, let's just go ahead and add one more character to the mix. This is a, David's, one of David's other sons called Absalom. Now, Absalom um, was not at this point the heir apparent, but one thing you need to know about Absalom is he is Tamar's full brother. He is Tamar's blood brother. He finds out what Amnon has done to his sister, and he is explosive. He is absolutely beyond irate. And we know that somebody told David about what happened. I bet you, I would, if I was a betting man, I would bet you money that it was Absalom who went and told David about it. And I think Absalom, just as we would be, is extremely upset and waiting to find out what is the king going to do about this. I mean, let's make an example of this person. The king's son is not above the law. He should really have to pay for such a terrible, egregious sin, such a terrible thing. And so here's what the scripture says David did. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And that's it. He was very angry. That's all David did for two years. He, he, didn't, he didn't punish Amnon. He didn't do anything to, to, to deal with what had happened. Why? Because this is, David, David doesn't clean out the fridge. He isn't ready yet to let go of the picture. He's got a picture of the way his sons were supposed to grow up. He has a picture of how safe his home was supposed to be. He has a picture of what, what if he was a good dad, what his kids would look like as they grew up and the kind of things that they would do. And to, to throw away the picture of how things were supposed to be and to accept how things were, that was too painful. And so instead of dealing with the problem, he just shut the refrigerator door and tried to make believe nothing had happened. Here's the problem with that. There's always going to be someone around who's not ready to shut the refrigerator door. And Absalom was not at all ready to just say, this is not a big deal. Two years go by and nothing's happened. He's ready to take matters into his own hands. David's trying to avoid the fight that needs to happen, and Absalom's looking to, looking to pick a fight. So Absalom sends a message to his dad and says, hey, we're having a party. I want you to, I, I want you to come. I want you to bring all the kids, and we're going to have a great time. Sheep shearers are, have, have finished shearing the sheep, and, and it's a time of harvest. Let's, let's get everybody in. Let's have a, let's have a blast and uh, throw a blowout party. And I think the reason that Absalom invited David, and I can't prove this, but I think the reason that Absalom invited David is part of David trying to keep the refrigerator door shut is I think he was trying to keep Absalom and Amnon in separate corners. I think he was trying to keep them away from each other because he knew it could be explosive. And so he, it's interesting because when Absalom says, bring everybody out, because he knew then Amnon would be there, David says, no, 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 we'd be too much trouble for you. If all of us came, it'd be, it'd be too much. You know, so, so no, some of us are going to stay behind, right? And it's like Absalom can read his mind. And he says, okay, well, if you're not coming, then uh, just make sure that you send Amnon. And David says, why do you want me to send Amnon out there? Right? And, and they have this conversation where it's going back and forth, but eventually David, David says, well, David's thinking to himself, well, there's safety in numbers. He sends all his kids out there to this party. I think he's figuring at least if Absalom was going to do something to Amnon, he wouldn't do it when all the rest of the kids were there. He was wrong. Right, Because Amnon gets out there for the party, Absalom tells his men, listen, I'm going to give you the signal. When I give you the signal, you kill him and don't worry about it because I'll take responsibility for it. And that is exactly what happened. Absalom tells his guys to kill Amnon. They do that. So let's just pause for a moment and take score. Right? David is married to a woman now that he had an affair with originally and had her, had her husband killed. He's got one son who's a rapist who's now dead, and he's got another son now who's a murderer. 
This is not the way his family was supposed to be. And, in, and on top of that, now his family is all spread apart. The scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 13, this is verse 37, that David mourned many days for his son Amnon, but it says Absalom fled to his grandfather, uh, the king of Gesher. He stayed there in Gesher for three years. So here's what you need to know about this, right? Absalom knows that if he goes right back to Israel, it's technically true that David could do something to punish him for what happened between him and Amnon. So what he, what, he, what he does is he runs off to live with his grandfather and he waits to hear from David that it's okay to come home. You know, a week passes, no word. Two weeks pass, no word. Three weeks, four weeks. He ends up staying there for three years and hears nothing from David. Why? Because if, if Absalom had come home, David would have had to have faced what was in the refrigerator. He's not ready to do that. He's leaving the refrigerator door. So he doesn't want Absalom around. And here's the thing I want to share with you. This is a basic principle, and, and it's something that we can all use in our different situations, whatever it is that you're struggling to grieve, and that is this. When we ignore what is spoiled, what is spoiled becomes toxic. When we ignore what is spoiled, what is spoiled becomes toxic. What does spoiled mean? Spoiled means worthless. It used to have worth, now it doesn't. Something has gone bad, so whatever it would have meant to us, it doesn't mean anymore. So, but, but toxic means poisonous. It means that it ruins other things. It's not just that its own worth is gone, now it is taking away the worth of other things. And by the way, if you read in the scriptures and you see the word evil, you notice that word pop up a bunch of times, this is evil, this is evil, right? Evil is a Bible word that means something that is worthless that points toward disaster. That's what the, original, what the word means in the original language. It's something worthless, but it, it points toward a disaster in the end. And so that's what happens. When we leave something in our refrigerator that is spoiled, it can become evil. It can become something that takes us toward a disaster. And so David has been ignoring this, but now all of a sudden it's beginning to poison his family. Look at what's happened. It's happened with his son Amnon. It's happened with his son Absalom. It's happened with his family. Now it's spread across. Absalom's living with his grandfather, and, and David's not going to do anything about it. Years later, by the way, after the three years, finally David says, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. he can come home. Bring Absalom home, that's fine. Um, but I don't want to see him. Right? This is in, this is in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 14. The king gave this order, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. You see what I'm saying? He's like, all right, if it's a big deal for him to be home, fine, bring him home. But I don't want to open the fridge. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need to see what's in there. I don't, I don't want to see him. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be around him. I don't want to hear about him. He can be in his house, but he's quarantined. We'll just leave him there. And this is two more years. Absalom has to stay in his house. He's not able to see the king. Two years um, where nothing happens between the two of them. Finally, after all this time, five years after Amnon dies, they sort of make up. But it's not, it's not a real making up. But they kind of come to terms. And, and you think for a minute things are going to be okay. But there's another principle I want to share with you, and that is this. The longer we accommodate something that is spoiled in our lives, the more toxic it becomes. See, it looks like for a minute everything's okay. David and Amnon have made up, or David and Absalom have made up. Everything's going to be fine. But the problem is, things have become so toxic, now they can't turn around. And Absalom has noticed that his dad has a little bit of a problem now. After all these years, Israel had been, they loved David. David was the greatest king, and everybody thought he was the best ever. But the problem was, David had become so used to keeping the, the lid 
on stuff that didn't go the way it was supposed to go. It was seeping into his work life. And here's what you need to know. Remember earlier I said David was great professionally, but he was terrible personally. If you, if you have something in an area that you struggle with that's spoiling, eventually it will seep over into the things that you're good at, and it will start to ruin the things that you're good at. He was good at being king, but now he was starting to not be so good at being king because his habit of just treating stuff like it wasn't there when it went wrong started seeping into what he did at work, and now all of a sudden people were starting to go, you know, I just don't really know if David's really on the job that much anymore. And Absalom saw an opening. So he bought a limousine, assembled a motorcade, got some bodyguards, some guys with little earpieces talking into their sleeve, you know. Every, everywhere they go, it looks like he's pretty, it looks like he's king material. He's wearing clothes like the king would wear. He's got enough money he could do this. He started looking very regal, very official. And uh, what he did was he would position himself in the line where people were headed to go talk to the king to ask for the king to make judgments on their matters or to judge disputes or to deal with, with what was going on. And he would pull them aside, and he would put his arm around them, and he would say, what's the matter, buddy? And he would say, well, this is what's going on, and I've got this dispute with this person. This is how it happened. And and Absalom would say, man, you've got an airtight case. I mean, you really deserve to to be compensated for what's happened here. And, you know, if, if it weren't for the fact that the king is just so spacey lately and isn't around, you know, something, I mean, for instance, just, just for instance, if somebody like me were king, you know, I'm, I, I tend to be right on top of things. And, you know, obviously I really, you know, I understand what you've been through and, and, and what you deserve. If somebody like me were king, then I think you'd, you'd be fine. But honestly, the way things are right now, I just don't think you can expect much of anything. And he does this for four years until he gets critical mass. And there comes a point in time when Israel would rather have Absalom for king than David for king. Absalom fooled everybody. So the Bible tells us that there was a time, this is in in chapter 15, verse 13, that a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. So then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. Now here's the thing, David, Bible scholars argue about this, whether this is true or not. I really do think David had the, had the chips to stay where he was. I think he could have stayed in the palace. I think he could have said to everybody, this is a bunch of nonsense. Um, you know, and I think he could have actually dealt with Absalom the way that traitors should be dealt with, uh, and, and things could have been resolved. He had a shot. He had a window. But instead, in order to keep the refrigerator door closed, he said, let's run away. He's willing to give up his career. He's willing to give up his kingship. He's willing to give up the safety and security of his family. As a matter of fact, he's saying, let's go live in the desert. He's willing to go move to the desert to keep the door closed on the refrigerator. This is how much this is David's MO. But the thing about it is, there is going to be a fight because Absalom is not going to let David just be out there. He knows as long as there's David, there's a chance that he'll lose his his throne. So he decides that they're going to mount this big battle. He's got the whole army of Israel behind him. David's just got kind of a small band of guys who wanted to stay with him and fight for him. And so there's this huge bloody battle that takes place. 20,000 men die as a result of this thing between David and Absalom in this battle. But here's what I want you to see. Because David gives a command before everybody goes off to battle. This is in chapter 18, verse 5. The Bible says, uh, David commanded Joab and his other uh, generals, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Are you kidding? He says, I, I want you to be gentle with him. You know, I don't want, I don't want to get hurt. I want to be, be, be nice to Absalom if you find him. Don't, don't kill him, just treat him with kid gloves if you can. But, you know, it's okay if you slap the handcuffs on him, but I don't want him to get hurt right? This is craziness. 
This is, this is the epitome of craziness. This is what happens when we leave the refrigerator door shut and it's like we know that inside there, there's so much stuff that wants to just come flowing out of pictures that have spoiled and it's all gotten toxic and it's spreading and it's like there's a part of us that just goes, but this is, none of this is the way it was supposed to be. And David is like, if I could just know for sure that Absalom's not gonna die, then at least a part of my world will still be the way it was supposed to be. And he's making such foolish decisions to to make it there. As a matter of fact, let me read this passage to you. This is in chapter 18, verse 9. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. Now, here's what you need to know. Absalom was fascinated with his hair. He thought his hair was his greatest feature. He only cut it once a year, and when he cut it once a year, the Bible tells us that what he cut off weighed five pounds. He, this is a guy with a mess of hair, right? And he's riding underneath this tree. His hair gets caught in a branch. And, and no joke, he ends up hanging from his hair in the tree. The scripture says, um, his mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. And one of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dang, dangling from a tree. Uh, what Joab demanded? You saw him there? You didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with 10 pieces of silver and a hero's belt. He says, I wouldn't kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver. We all heard the king say to you, for my sake, please spare young Absalom. And if I betrayed the king by killing his son, and the king would certainly find out who did it, you yourself would be the first to abandon me. Now get this. David has spent his life as a military leader who rallies the military around him and gets them united in purpose, and they go out and they take on incredible things. Look at what's happening. David's top general is having an argument with a little guy down the, down the line who's telling him, there isn't a way in the world that I'm gonna do what you're telling me that I should do. He's got incredible disrespect happening in his military is the opposite of what he would have ever, ever been okay with as a result of this craziness of him saying, if, it t- if that's what it takes to keep the refrigerator door shut, that's what I'm gonna do. Of course, I love Joab's answer. Joab's not the greatest guy in the Bible, but he does have an interesting statement here. He says, enough of this nonsense. Then he, th- then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled still alive in the tree. And then 10 of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. Now, here's the thing. This is a point in time where Israel had been in a state of panic. You've got a, what do you do, right? You've got this king that you've been loyal to all your life, but now the king's son is trying to take over. It seems like maybe he's got a better plan. Some people are loyal to Absalom. Some people are loyal to David. Everything is just crazy. And now Absalom is dead. Now David has a chance to reclaim his throne, to calm things down, to console a broken kingdom. They just lost 20,000 warriors for Pete's sake. It was a civil war. It's time for him to come and rally the troops and to congratulate them for doing what was necessary to restore order. But here's what he does. The Bible says that David was overcome with emotion. This is what what happened when he heard that Absalom was dead. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And as all the people heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of that day's victory was spoiled. It was turned into deep sadness. See, the thing about it is, if you, if you leave stuff that's spoiled in the refrigerator, it will eventually spoil the relationships that you need to survive. It will spoil the, the, the love that people want to give you. It will spoil what they're willing to do to try to be there for you. These people were willing to fight this incredible battle so that David could regain his throne, 
And the Bible says all the joy that they were feeling when at first they felt like they had won, spoiled it, turned to sadness because they're like, what does this mean? I don't understand. Now the king is mad because, or he's sad because of what we did. <clears throat> so this is what happens. Joab doesn't, Joab doesn't handle this well. The general, when, when the general sees how David is acting, he, he confronts David. And this is some pretty harsh language for a general to be giving a king, but it was what he needed to hear. Joab went to the king's room and he said to him, we saved your life today and the lives of your sons, your daughters, your wives and concubines, yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You've made it clear today that your commanders and troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would be pleased. Now, now this is, this is harsh talk. He says, now, go out there and congratulate your troops. For I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight, and then you will be worse off than ever before. And Joab is the first person to call David on the carpet for this. He says, buddy, you got a bunch of spoiled stuff in your fridge, and you think it's going to get better by leaving the door shut. He said, I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. He said, you are right on the edge you, you, he's like, you, you see how broken down you are right now? You're going to be more broken down because if you leave it all in there, it's going to get worse. Now, here's the deal. The end of the story is kind of tepid. David listens to what Joab says. He goes out and he tries to comfort and console and congratulate all the things that he should have done. But i got to be honest with you. David doesn't get this right even in the end of his life. I mean, he has, he has people in his life that have been traitorous to him, but in order to not deal with them, he leaves the refrigerator door shut. When his son Solomon comes to, comes to the throne, he tells his son to deal with him. He says, these two guys were traitorous to me. Make sure that they get dealt with. That's the way he was. All his life, he never dealt with it. But here's what I want to encourage you today. By looking at David's life, it's time for us to go, hey, listen, what, how much stuff in my refrigerator is spoiled, and it's toxic, and it's messing up other stuff in my life, and how much of it is adding to my life and adding to my purpose? Because however much we have in our life that's spoiled, we, we need to deal with it. And, and this is the last principle. I'll give you a couple other principles. This is the last principle I want to share with you, and that is the more toxic, spoiled stuff that we have on our refrigerator shelves, the less room there is for fresh, healthy stuff. Right? What do we do when stuff goes bad in our fridge? We throw it away, we go to the grocery store, we buy fresh stuff. We put fresh stuff in our refrigerator. That's how we get past it. By the way, I, I, I want to talk about something really quickly. I don't have a lot of time for this, but I want, to, I want to just say this. Because of the way this narrative is positioned, we've talked a lot about what it's like when you do something that's wrong and so it spoils a picture, or somebody else does something wrong to you and it spoils a picture. But some of you in this room, <clears throat> you have a different situation. You have a picture in your life of what it was going to be like to have your mom around until you were 60 or 70, but your mom died when you were 30. And you didn't have any control over that, and they didn't have any control over that. There's, there's no wrongdoing, there's no sin in that picture at all. And you say, Jonathan, what are you saying? I need to throw out the memory of my mom. I need to act like that was never there. Not in a million years would I ever suggest anything like that. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying the picture of... Mom was going to be here until I was 60. 
that's how things are supposed to be, that's how things should be, that's how things need to be because that was my picture. When we leave it in the fridge and we say, "Huh, uh I'm not gonna deal with the fact that in my heart, I feel like it's supposed to be that way, I'm not gonna deal with it, I'm gonna shut the refrigerator door at all costs. Nothing fresh can take the place of what's going on there because that picture's still taking up room. And our heart begins to harden over the fact that we feel like things did not happen the way that they were supposed to happen. No, it doesn't mean we have to get rid of the memory of someone. We should, we should embrace the memory of someone, but we also have to embrace the fact that we can no longer look at that and say, things are supposed to be this way, and, and they should be this way, and I can't deal with the fact that they're not. At some point, we have to say, you know what, it's not that way. The picture that I had, my idea of what was supposed to happen has spoiled, and I have to open up that refrigerator space for God to put something new, for something that can take the place of what I lost. And see, here's what the scripture says about the need for us to open up the fridge and make room. This is in Lamentations chapter three, verse 19. He says, the thought of my pain, my homelessness, is bitter poison. He said, look, this has absorbed so much in my life. It was, it, it was worthless at first, but now it's become poisonous. And he says, I think of it constantly and my spirit is depressed, yet Hope returns when I remember this one thing. The Lord's unfailing love and mercy still continue fresh as the morning, as sure as the sunrise. The Lord is all I have, and so I put my hope in him. In that scripture, I have, and, and I have the word still underlined. I underlined that at the last moment, but it, it spoke to me because there's so many things. When we feel like we clean out the refrigerator, we're so scared to do that because it feels like the end and if we have something big that we have to take out of the refrigerator, it feels like a big end. It feels like it's all over, and we don't want the empty refrigerator shelves. It's hard to stare at the emptiness because it feels like, well, is it always going to be this way? But here's what I love about the scripture. The Bible says when, when God wants to put something fresh in our refrigerator, we have to understand that if, if the marriage ends, God's love and mercy still is there. If, if, if my kids don't turn out the way that I expected my kids would turn out, God's love and mercy still, even, in the, even when what feels like it's the end, God's love and mercy keeps on going and it keeps putting fresh stuff in the refrigerator. Even if my job didn't turn out the way that I hoped my job would, God's love and mercy still is stocking the refrigerator with fresh things, as long as I'm willing to make space for those things. See, I'm talking to someone in this room, and you're in a marriage and your spouse has cheated on you. You're saying, Jonathan, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I understand this. Are you saying that I need to throw away the, the picture that means that I need to say the marriage is over and I need to just walk away? Or are you saying that it means I need to throw away my expectation that, that things were going to be a certain way and I need, to, I need to get back together with them? Look, I don't know what the ultimate disposition of your marriage will be. I'm saying that throwing away the picture of what it was supposed to be is going to put you in the best place to know. Do you stay and you work on it or is it time to say, this, the cheating was so much that I can't, I, I can't move forward in this relationship and you open up the refrigerator shelf and God brings you something to replace it. Maybe you're saying, Jonathan, are you saying that I should cut off my relationship with my kid who's gone off the rails and is doing something terrible? I would never suggest that you do that. I'm saying it's time to take the picture off the shelf of the kid that you thought you were gonna have and throw that away and open up the room on the shelf for God to help you work with the picture that you now do have. Now, why is this so important? I'm, I'm a big fan of a verse in scripture in, in Jeremiah, and I know it's, it's a familiar verse, and many of us have committed it to memory. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, verse 11, here's what the Bible says. God says to us, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. 
and their plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So here's the deal. What is the picture I've been talking all about all this time? The picture is our plans for us. This is what we've planned that we should have, what we've planned life should be like, what we've planned was supposed to be. And God is saying, look, I know your picture has spoiled, but in case you're wondering, my picture for you has never spoiled and it isn't gonna spoil. I can even take the bad stuff that happens and I can engineer them for good, so don't worry. Just because your picture has turned does not mean that there is no picture because my picture is so much better than any picture that you've got in your fridge. If you would just take the, 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 the pictures that you developed that turned bad on you out of the fridge, let me put my picture there because my picture is better and it's bigger and it's for hope and it's not for disaster and it's for something that's gonna change your world. And here's the deal. I wanna read you this verse. This is what we're gonna close out, close out with this morning. But this is in Isaiah. I love this verse. This is, this is my antidepressant verse right here. Isaiah chapter 43, and this starts in verse 18. The Bible says, the Lord says, do not cling to the events of the past or dwell on what happened long ago. And this, look at this. Watch for the new thing I'm going to do. It's happening already and you can see it now. See, here's the deal. God is saying, listen, if you would, if you would trust me to throw away the supposed to's and the way it was supposed to be and the picture that you had in your head, he's like, I just want you to know I'm doing a new thing. I'm already doing a new thing. I'm already working on it. And you can watch me because I'm already, if you would just watch what I'm doing, I'm, a, I'm in the business of replacing what has spoiled with something that is fresh and something that is exciting and something that leads you towards your purpose. That's what we call faith, right? Faith is us saying, God, I'm, I'm expecting that you have something better for my fridge than what I have there, so I'm swinging the door wide open. Some of you this morning, this would, this would give you freedom like you have no idea to swing the door wide open and clean out the fridge with God and say, you know what, God? This picture's hard to let go of, but I'm gonna let go of it because I think you can replace it. You know what, God? This picture is hard to let go of, but I think you can do better than I was doing with this. God, I'm gonna throw away this picture, I'm gonna throw away this picture. You know what, I'm not gonna worry about the empty shelves because I know you have something to put here. And we put it in God's hands and we say, you know what, God? My life is not what it's supposed to be, but with you it can be everything that it can be because you can take a broken person and a broken past and difficult circumstances and you can weave them together into the fabric of something amazing. And that's what his promises to you and his promises to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you love us and that you are at work doing something new in each one of our lives. I pray that you would help us as we go through the pain of cleaning out the expectations that we had of how everything was gonna turn out. But also as we hold out our arms open to you and say, God, whatever, 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 whatever you have for my kids, whatever you have for my family, whatever you have for my life, and submit ourselves to you and say, I will follow you, I will do what you ask, and I will let you stock the fridge. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning.